Glad to see you this morning. And uh, as I watch so many of the kids' community, parents and kids go out, it makes me think of the daddy-daughter ball that was last night, filling up the gym, having a nice uh, banquet, um, getting to see those dads and daughters from age two up through high school and just sitting and eating together and dancing together, twirling, lots of twirling going on. It was wonderful to see that much twirling. And um, it, was, it, was just a, it was just a beautiful evening just to, be a, just to be a small part of. So many people, though, put a lot of effort into that, did a lot of planning for quite a number of months, and it was a fantastic evening. So those who planned uh, for the evening and served, uh, we appreciate it very much. That was a wonderful intergenerational service. That's right, yeah. Eddie, Eddie was one of the dads who was uh, twirling, and uh, so, uh, of course, he's very thankful for that. It was great to see all of you there. So I got a text this uh, past week from Belinda Moore, and, of course, a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday evening, KY3 had come, and they had, they had uh, done a little piece and were asking a few questions about uh, the men's homeless shelter uh, that we're able to host here at East Sunshine. And so there, was, uh, there were a few questions about volunteers and needs. So it gave us an opportunity to talk about some of those volunteer spots that we need, in particular the overnight hours and then early morning hours from time to time, especially getting substitutes uh, when a number of our volunteers have been down with the flu or some kind of heavy cold. And so it's been, uh, it's been a, a challenge from time to time. And, and that night, there was a couple here in town, they're visiting from uh, Central Asia, Tajikistan, I believe, is where they're normally living, and they're here as missionaries, they're on a little break, and they saw that newscast. And um, then, just this past week, we're driving on East Sunshine here, saw our church building as they drove past it, hey, wait a minute, that's that church, let's go. And they popped in on Wednesday evening and introduced themselves and just said, hey, we, we saw the, the newscast a couple of weeks ago. We'd love to volunteer. We're only here for a short time, but we really want to do something while we're here. That missionary spirit was, was still alive for them. And um, so they gave their name and number to Belinda. And then Belinda, on a, on, for Friday morning, she, there were so many people sick, she couldn't, she couldn't get all the volunteers she needed. So she called Parviz and Kaylee, these missionaries who had stopped in, and they were so excited that they got to come, and they were a part of the, the early morning shift, serving the breakfast and meeting people. And even the night when they had come by, they met a number of people and just took it in. And Belinda said, isn't this just one more instance in which, as we've talked about recently, we had a need and God was already there. God was already at work to bring people to serve into this place of need. That's what God does. He is ahead of us every step. He is always at work. He is uh, creating opportunities um, to love people and to serve this world he loves through his people. And this was just one more opportunity for that to happen and I expect many other. That's right. That's right. That's something to celebrate. Um, I expect many more of those kinds of things. And 
I would love for you to text me or email me or call me to come and see me when you experience something like this. You see God at work. These should be the kinds of stories that we're experiencing. That, so we have too many to share. And um, so I want to encourage you to be looking for where God is at work in your life and in the people around you and then share some of those stories with me so that we can uh, give praise to God and encourage each other through them. So we continue in our series this morning, Everyday Mission, Being Church Beyond Sunday. We have talked about the importance of this gathering and, and what God's ideas are for this gathering as we gather to worship, as we gather to encourage, as we gather to remind, as we gather to proclaim gospel to each other and to all those who would overhear it. But we also go, and that our time actually in the going of our identity is greater than the gathering time. We're here for a couple of hours, two to three hours for many of us through the week, but our going is 165, 166 hours during the week. And so we're having this season of emphasis on this mission. What does it look like for us to be church? To be church, not just do church or go to church as if it's a place, but to be church not only as the gathered people, but beyond Sunday. Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 5. We'll start in verse 13. These are... Jesus' words, and many of you are going to be familiar with this section of verses here, this teaching of Jesus, because it's in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And it's at the beginning, and it follows the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, and so forth. It follows the Beatitudes as we call them. And so it's people that have often felt like they have been thrown out and trampled on the ground to whom he's speaking. He's speaking to people that many of them, they had experienced a lack of purpose and mission. Uh, They had been cast aside, many of them, Many of them were definitely the poor in spirit, the hungry, the meek. And Jesus says, I want you to see the blessing in your life as God is with you and God is at work in you. And it's to these people that he says these words, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
So these people who are humble and meek and pure in heart, merciful, the peacemakers, the resilience, those who are persecuted and insulted and keep pressing into the glory of God, these are the kinds of people who are salt and light in the world. Now, I want us to think about a couple of things. First of all, the purposes of salt and light. The purpose of salt in the first century had were, were really two things. Uh, first, salt was a preservative. It was a disinfectant even. It was what was often packed on meat without refrigeration. Salt would be packed all over meat, and that would preserve the meat, allow them to keep the meat longer so that the bacteria wouldn't then infest the meat and make it rot and stink. So the salt kept the bacteria away. It preserved the meat. So it was a preservative. Secondly, of course, salt was for flavor. I want you to think of a food right now, what comes to your mind, when you think of a food that you just cannot eat without salt. You just can't eat it. Maybe a fresh slice of a garden tomato. Some of you can. Some of you just, you know, like it's an apple. You love it. Most of you are farmers who would do that. You grow them, and then you might pick it. But if you slice it, what about, what about corn on the cob? Is that one of those things that you've got to have some salt? Mashed potatoes, any kind of potato, just potato, rice, those kind of things that don't have a whole lot of flavor unless you put something on You blasphemers put it on watermelon, cantaloupe. Don't know what's wrong with you. Now, there's always something that we can think of, but what salt does in that case is we put the salt on the food, and if you, <laughs> cooks, have you ever sat down and you've, you've, you put your, your food on the table and go, don't eat the mashed potatoes, don't eat the green beans, I forgot to salt them. Wait, or you give the warning, I forgot to salt the green beans, just make sure that you, you've got the salt and pepper ready. The salt adds flavor. And really what it does is brings out the true flavor. It doesn't really add a different flavor, but brings out the flavor that's already inherent in whatever food you're eating. And think about this. Salt is unseen. You put the salt on and it just disappears into the food. It's unseen. In fact, how many of you have taken a bite of those mashed potatoes or that corn on the cob or that tomato slice or that watermelon and you have gone, mmm, now that is some good salt. Anybody ever done that? We say, oh, that is a good tomato right there. That is a good piece of steak. Because the salt is unseen and the salt is doing its work to bring out the flavor in that food. Salt does its work by contact. If it stays in the salt shaker, it can be on the table with the food. But unless it comes out of the salt shaker and then makes contact with the food, 
it can't do its work. So while it's unseen, it's present. And we know immediately when it's present and when it's not. And this is the nature of salt. Think about light, the purpose of light. Think, so while salt is unseen, but it's doing its work through contact, light is seen. It's not making contact. Light is given so that it can illuminate, so that it can direct, so that it can reveal what we wouldn't otherwise see. It provides clarity. So the light allows us to see what's in front of us, what's around us, what we might stumble over, what's beautiful, what's not. It's simply doing its work by showing us what's there. But it is a work that is seen. And in both cases, for salt and for light, it doesn't take much for it to do its work. You don't over-salt something. And, and too much light can be blinding, but it just takes a light in a dark room, a lamp, Jesus says, that's put on a stand, could light up the house, these small first century houses. Just a little bit of salt brings out the real flavor. So there's the purpose of salt and light that Jesus has in mind. Everybody would have recognized these purposes. When they would have heard him talk about, you're the salt of the earth, they would have immediately understood that. Yeah, the purposes of salt, to preserve and, and to bring out flavor, to make things better. That's what salt did. It just made it better. Is it good? Yes, but it's better with the salt and the light to illuminate. So they thought about the purposes, but something that Jesus does here is it, we, we've got to just pay a little bit of attention to, and it's this. He doesn't say to the people, you ought to be light. You ought to shine the light. You should be salt and salty. After all, if salt is not salty, it's just sand. It doesn't, doesn't have a use. It just gets thrown out because its function is gone. But he says to them, this is what you are. It is your very identity to be salt and to be light. It is who you are. And when we understand identity, when we understand who we are, then we're able to release ourselves and make ourselves available to do what it is that we're designed to do. We, brothers and sisters and friends, we are salt. We are light. And God has created us with a particular purpose, a special mission, so that we simply be salt and light. And then from that being, from that identity, flows our purpose and our mission and our action. It's who we are. Uh, to paraphrase Stanley Hauerwas and William Willimon in their book, Resident Aliens, God doesn't give the church a mission strategy. The church is the mission strategy of God. 
It's always been that way. It was that way with Adam and Eve. You are created in my image. Represent me. Take care of the earth. Subdue the earth. This is who you are, so this is what you do. They themselves were the representatives of God carrying out the mission in the world. He didn't give them a strategy. And the same thing for Israel. Israel was intended to be, from the descendants of Abraham, a blessing to the world. Remember, his promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 was that the whole world, all the nations, everyone would be blessed through his descendants. The idea of God wasn't simply to bless Israel and keep the blessing contained in Israel. They were blessed to be a blessing. But they were to be a light to the Gentiles. By their very living, by their worshiping, by their alignment with the one true creator God, by the fact that when trouble came, they didn't chase after other gods or make treaties with other nations or try to figure things out for themselves. Instead, they trusted in God. It's what made them distinct. And there were specific laws, of course, that they, that they kept, commands of God that identified them and made them distinct from other people. But the, the mission of God was always carried out through the people themselves. It wasn't like, okay, you're Israel, now here's your strategy. They were the strategy of God, and the church is the same way. He says, you are my strategy. You are how I'm going to love this world. You are how I'm going to serve this world. You are the ones through whom I'm going to show this world that I'm holy, that I'm just that I'm righteous, that I keep my commands, that I, that I keep my promises. That I'm going to show the world what kind of God I am through you. You, church, are my mission strategy. We're the mission strategy of God. And, and programs and events and ministries are simply ways to shake the salt and to turn on the light. But they themselves without the people of God, who are salt and light, can't do much. And it's, it's partly what separates us from other groups who do good things in the world. A Kiwanis club, some neighborhood community group, or school group. Being salt, being light, is primarily about presence, showing up, and being who God has made us to be. John Stott, who was a longtime preacher and theologian in England, in a message on this passage from Matthew chapter 5, asked the question, where is the church? As, as Dr. Stott looked around his England and saw the church having less and less impact on society, what he saw in England was a church that began to look more and more like society in its values, not speaking into unjust situations as predecessor William Wilberforce had done in the abolition of slavery and that whole movement. He saw a church that was taking on more and more of the values and having less and less distinctive qualities that set it apart and called attention to God. And so he asked, where is the church? And then he says, 
If the house is dark at night, there's no sense in blaming the house. We don't look at the dark house and go, boy, that house is... That's what happens when the sun goes down. The question to ask is, where is the light? If the meat goes bad, there's no sense in blaming the meat. That's what happens when the bacteria are allowed to breed unchecked. The question to ask is, where's the salt? If society becomes corrupt like a dark night or a stinking fish, there's no sense in blaming society. That's what happens when fallen humanity and and human society is left to itself and human evil is unrestrained and unchecked. The question to ask is, where's the church? I think his point is, a, is, is very powerful because it is very easy for any of us as the people of God in the world to look around and blame the world. It's what many do. It, we look at the world and we look at the values of the world and we simply cast blame, we cast judgment. It's part of the response and the reaction to us many times. When people, and sometimes it's unjust, talk about the people of God, talk about the church as being judgmental. What they're talking about a lot of times is us looking out into a world that is dark and blaming the world or blaming the house for not having the light or blaming the meat for spoiling. And he says, the question that we need to be asking is, what about us? Where are we? Are we in these places doing what it is that we are created to do and designed to do and called to do. The question is, where's the church? Meat is going to rot if it doesn't have salt. A house is going to be dark if it doesn't have light. Where are we? That's his question. We want to be the people of God as as salt and light. We want to be so saturated with the qualities of Jesus and this is the driving force for me when I think about life and what gets me out of bed in the morning. When I think of it, if I'm picking a mantra from Scripture, I'm thinking about Paul's words in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ. I mean, he, he, it's like to live is, and he's got this blank and he wants to fill it in. What would, to live is purpose. To live is, is money. To live is, no, no, to live is Christ. It's the way he sums it up. To live is Christ. We want to be so saturated with Jesus, so captivated by Jesus, that the people around us would ask themselves, like we said last week, who are these people? There's nobody like these people. Stott, in his same message, said that he had come back from India. He traveled a lot and going to encourage and teach church pastors and missionaries in other countries. And he had come back from India where he heard of a little girl, Hindu girl, who had been brought up in a strict Hindu family, and she had come across some Christians. And somebody asked her one day what she thought a Christian was. What is a Christian? And she thought for a moment, and then she replied, Well, as far as I can see, a Christian is somebody who is different from everybody else. A follower of Christ is different from everybody else. We're different. This is what Jesus is saying to us. Your salt doesn't take much, but it takes you being true to who you are and it takes contact. This is not a pulling away from the world. 
This is not a separation from the world where you try to get, keep the salt in the salt shaker so it doesn't get on anything contaminated. No. It just takes some salt to do what it's meant to do. To be poured out. To make contact. To preserve. To give flavor. To make it better. You're, you're light, he says. You are created to make a difference. To be different than anyone around you. So that when there's darkness all around, when you walk into the room, light walks into the room. That's what Jesus was. Jesus would show up and people wanted a party. Jesus would show up and people would cry and throw themselves at his feet. Tears of happiness, tears of repentance. Jesus would show up and, of course, wherever Jesus went, the kingdom broke out because Jesus is king. But Jesus was light. Jesus was salt. He made things better. He made life clearer. And like sunlight, he made things grow. And that's what happened whenever Jesus showed up. And I believe he is telling us, this is my exact intention for you. The life that I've lived as salt and and light is the life I have for you to be different. So different that people at O'Reilly who work around Carmel Laveroni or Joe Clemens are going to say, do you see Joe Clemens? There's nobody like Joe. He does amazing work. Karma, she treats people like they're the most important people in the world. So that people at O'Reilly know that there is salt and there's light. When, when they walk in the room, pew, it lights up. People at Cox Hospital are so mesmerized by Jessica Lightfoot that they say, do you see how Jessica Lightfoot listens to people? She's so encouraging. Even in chaotic circumstances, there's just nobody like Jessica. People say, there's nobody who does the careful work of remodeling or, or construction like Gray Thomas or the Barnes Brothers, Beaver Looter. No, no, those guys, they, they're set apart. Students and faculty in our schools... They say, you know, there's nobody like Philip Doherty, Dana O'Mealy, Alicia Moore, the Snows. Have you seen those people in the classroom? Have you seen them in the hallways of the schools interacting with the kids? There's not a teacher like Tamara Barnhouse or Amy Kendrick. There's just nobody like them. And yet we live that way, not so that people will notice us, even though they're noticing us. As we said last week, when they notice those good deeds, they're noticing Jesus, even if they don't yet know, they're noticing Jesus. It's subversive saltiness. They're noticing Jesus. They just don't know it yet. This is what happens when the people of God are the people of God. This is what happens when the church is the church beyond Sunday. This is what happens when the church is on mission and the church is going from the gathering, being who we truly are, salt and light. Notice the result of the good works. When you go back to Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 16. People see our good works and do what? Pat us on the back. No, they see our good works and they praise our Father in heaven. They praise our Father in heaven. Those words of encouragement, those works of service, the, the, the acts of peacemaking and kindness, when people see those things, the men and the women who see that will be attracted 
to the worship of the one you call Father, our good, good Father. And it may not happen that day in the waiting room or in the office or at, in the classroom, but our prayer is that at some point they would see us, they would see the distinctiveness of our lives, and they would go, there's just nobody... What, what is going on? What's behind it? So it goes back to last week. It makes them curious. Could you just tell me more about your life? What is it with you? The Apostle Paul encourages this in his letter to Titus, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, when he's specifically addressing Christ-following slaves in the first century. Christ-following slaves. Sometimes they had it good, sometimes not at all. And he says, Titus, teach the slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. That would have been a distinctive way of living as a slave in that first century. And here's the reason why. So that in every way they will make the teaching about our God, about God our Savior, attractive. Live in such a way that it makes the teaching about Jesus Christ, our Savior, attractive. You see, what we want them to notice is Jesus. So that when they say, what are you doing? Who are you people? What is, what is your life all about? Why do you do what you do? We just say it. It's because of Jesus. It's because of our identity as his people. So I want to uh, take a moment. I want you to think about just kind of think about people in your own life, um, around you, at school, at work, in your neighborhood, um, in some kind of gathering, the people in your life who need light. Um, we've got some prayer prompts in the bulletin that you can look at, and we're going to play a song in just a moment. And during this song, we're going to have some time for some prayer again. And I've got these specific prompts available for you so that you can be thinking about this, but take this moment during this song. Uh, it's a song by All Sons and Daughters called God With Us. And the lyrics of the song, the first time I remember hearing this song, it, it made me immediately think not only of what God has done for us, but about what he wants to do for the world he loves through us. So think about these three things and ways to pray. Pray, which is another way of saying, shine the light of Christ. If we believe that prayer is effective, that it's powerful, then we believe that we can shine light even through our prayers. So pray into the darkness that you see in situations or in people in your life. Number two, pray for the Holy Spirit to show you specific ways to be salt in the decay or light in the darkness around you this week. Number three, pray for God to help you see your true identity in Christ. Not to see yourself as an ought to or as a should, but as salt, as you are, as light, who you are in Christ. And for courage, this is what we often need with the understanding of our identity, is the courage to live who we truly are. 
let's listen to this song. The lyrics of the song will be on the slides, and the prayer prompts are there available for you in the bulletin.
We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We represent Jesus in this world. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. The God over everything who made contact with his people. The God who would make contact with the leper, with the man or the woman who had sinned so much that their sins couldn't be named. God with us, and as the body of Christ in the world God loves, we the church are Christ with us to this world. Can you imagine that the world around us would say that about us? That when we come into the room and the light comes in with us, the salt makes the place better? That people would say, Yes, Christ is with us. Christ is with us. Jesus is with us. In anticipating the coming Messiah into the world, Isaiah prophesied, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. May the people around us say the same thing. That when we are present in the office, in the mall, at school, on the field of play, in the waiting room, may they say, a light has dawned. Our world is better. Would you stand with me, please? We are going to have opportunities this week to live out, to practice who we are. You will have opportunities every day to be who you are as light, to walk into the room and to illuminate, to make people so glad that you are present and making contact with them. Be who you are. Be those unique people, salt and light in this world. We have our prayer teams uh, available for you to, perhaps it's for you to respond to God in Christ for the very first time. Perhaps it's making yourself uh, available to God and saying, I'm going to, I want to take this mission seriously. I want to step up. I want to be who I really am in Christ. And so... uh, We invite you, as we sing praise together, as we sing about this mission together, I invite you to come while we sing.